Welcome to the Westminster Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon comes from Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, and is titled, A Call to Live Like Christians. Four, and uh, we're going to begin reading this morning from verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, and reading from verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness or lustfulness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And we'll stop there at the end of verse 4 of chapter 5. Shall we just pray once again together? Almighty God, as we come to read a translation of your inspired word, we ask that thou would grant us understanding of it. We pray, dear Lord, that we would not depart into falsehood but thy name may be lifted up and glorified. And help this weak and needy preacher to declare the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his precious name, amen. Dear friends, I want to draw your attention once again this morning uh, to Ephesians chapter 4 and continue our studies in this passage. And last time, if you remember, we were looking at this uh, this illustration that's given to us of, of this old man that's described, that, that old life that, that one would live before uh, the Ephesian was converted or before the believer was converted, 
And maybe some of the things that ruled you, the, the lusts that you were going after, the, the things that motivated you for self-gain, not for the glory of God, were to be put to one side. You, you've now had your mind renewed. We think differently. As a Christian, our desire is to live for the Lord, out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ, because he died on that cross and saved and redeemed us. It is an outpouring of love for him that we want to live a way that is pleasing in uh, pleasing to him. Now, that passage that I just read to you, verse uh, 17 of chapter 4 and verse 4 of chapter 5, Paul is calling the Ephesian believers to do something. But what is Paul calling the Ephesian believers to do here? Well, I believe he is calling them to live in a Christ-like manner with the renewed mind that we have been given. And so we're going to find in this passage, and we'll just deal with the first part of it this morning, these very practical things that he's going to set out, that now they are a new man, as we see in verse 24. Now they've been created by God, they've been converted, the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts. These are very practical things they were no longer to engage in, and then some things that they were to be actually do for the glory of of God. Now, what is the blessing or outcome, of course, if we live this way uh, that Paul is describing here? Well, it is uh, something that is glorifying to God. It promotes unity amongst Christians and maintains a consistent witness with our profession of faith. It glorifies God, promotes unity amongst Christians, and maintains a consistent witness with our profession of faith. And so these things are important. It's important in the Christian life that we are concerned in how we live and how uh, we conduct ourselves. There are many things that we're given Christian liberty in. The Lord, by His grace, has given us liberty uh, to make various choices. Like this morning, maybe you woke up and if, if you're a bit English, you maybe made a choice between whether you're going to have cereal or toast or if you're feeling particularly hungry, an English breakfast. And so uh, this is something you have liberty in. It's not sinful necessarily to choose any of those. And yet you have a liberty in that. But what Paul is going to talk about here are ways that the Ephesians used to live. Uh, They were, of course, in a Greek culture. There were many pagan influences. And so there were many things that needed to be dealt with. The Apostle Paul has made much in, in this book, in Ephesians, in this letter, especially in chapter 2, that God had brought a very diverse people into his church. In the Ephesian church, we know from the basis of this letter, there were both Jews and Gentiles. It is likely there were both those who were slaves and former slaves. There were barbarians and others. There were people from various backgrounds, those who were citizens in the broader sense of the Roman Empire and those who were not, different social classes. And yet they've been brought into this local church and they had this thing in common, that they believed the gospel, that Christ was their saviour and they worshipped the one true God. And the Apostle Paul is talking here of what a tremendous witness it is to the world that even here in Westminster, we who are so different, 
We come from different backgrounds. We are bound together by this thing. We have the same Savior and Redeemer, and it is our joy to meet together and uh, to praise Him. And so Paul calls them to love one another, to care for one another uh, through all of these things. And it is a display to the glory of God. Now think for a moment how true, how difficult it would have been amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul took a long time in Ephesians chapter 2 at the very end to draw the fact that the Jew and the Gentile are now a part of this same house. It says in verse 19, speaking to the Gentile, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so there would have been all sorts of questions. The Jews wouldn't have been comfortable eating some of the foods that the Gentiles ate. We know from the letter to the Corinthians that there was an issue that some had no matter of conscience when they bought meat uh, that had been offered to idols. It didn't matter to them. They knew those idols weren't real. They would partake of it, and so it wouldn't hurt their conscience. But Paul talks about there were some, maybe who were recently converted out of that whole environment of temple pagan worship, who would find it very difficult to do that. And Paul, if you remember, encourages those Corinthian believers, don't partake. Not because it is unlawful for you to do so in Scripture, but it would offend your brother. You want to make sure as far as you can uh, to, uh, to be one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we see his concern that they live uh, together in this way. He's interested in the way that they walk in their lives because we should be living a Christian life that is to the glory of God and amongst the church brethren that promotes the unity of the body of Christ. We should be committed to living a life of grace and if we do so, it should have particular effects on how we live in certain areas of our individual corporate lives. For instance, if you look back at verse 25 of chapter 4, Paul starts off um, here by telling you or saying, truth-telling is both going to promote unity of the body and it's going to set us apart from uh, the world, if you like. Wherefore, um, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's this differential here. There's a setting apart. We tell truth to one another, or we should be telling truth to one another, because we're not like some sort of office, uh, office difficulty. And some of you who work in an office may have seen it, where this person doesn't like that person, and so they're saying things behind that person's back, and they won't tell them the truth to their face, and it's all uh, very messy. That shouldn't be like that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is acutely aware of that as he gives them these examples. So, in this passage, Paul is challenging the reader, the Christian, the believer, that the way they should live should be glorifying to the Lord. And that's what I want to look at today. Let me just make one caveat before we get to these verses. He is not saying... This is what you need to do 
to be saved. He has already said earlier in Ephesians that uh, the Lord has quickened us in Ephesians chapter 2 who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking of those in verse 8 of chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is a clear stamp in the context of this whole letter that they were saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now their calling is to live in this way. We have a call to personal holiness in this sense. It won't be easy. Some of the things I'm going to outline to you this morning are a challenge to me and to you in the way that we live. But as we put on the new man, as we're instructed in verse 24, as we have a renewed mind, we should seek to implement these things for the glorifying to the Lord. And so, there are, there are four things we find here. What are the four areas we are told that need to be dealt with to walk in a way that is pleasing to Christ? Well, those four ways, uh, the first point is put off lying. Put off lying. Let's read um, verse 25. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This is a, is a challenge. We are members of one of another. We're to put away lying. We're to exercise ourselves that we don't catch up, get caught up in lying practices. We all can do this. I know from my own experience there are occasions where there's a great temptation because you want to please maybe someone. And it's easy not to tell them uh, the truth. But as believers, we're to seek to put away lying. And this is a great challenge. Uh, it's not just uh, what those large lies, but those small ones as well. And I, uh, it's something we need uh, to endeavor uh, to do. Put away lying. And the reason here is interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say put away lying because God hates lies. He doesn't say put away lying because Jesus is the truth. No, he says... Put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. They are to speak truth to fellow believers, as I've already touched on, because we're part of the same body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should desire to speak truth one to another, not to lie or deceive. There's a great danger in our Christian walk even, not to be completely open with the people of God. I am not one uh, for some of the heavy shepherding, the heavy pastoral activity that took place um, in the 18th century. Um, I remember my, my wife did some research on uh, the minutes of this church and um, someone was under suspicion of a particular thing and so they sent two people and they sat outside this person's house for an for a extended period of time uh, to see what is going on. Now, that's probably a step too far, I would suggest. But what I'm saying, if we're part of the body of Christ, we should have a certain openness one to another. Not one where it needs investigators to go and see, but we love one another. And so if we're going through a particular time of difficulty, if there's a temptation we're struggling, and you, of course, have to be wise, you don't just tell any old person, someone who, who can hold your confidence in that regard. But you want to tell them the truth. 
You don't want to lie about your circumstance. And so this is a great, um, is a great means of unity. It's right not only in a church setting, it's probably also right in any setting. Where lying is there, it can cause great problems. Secondly, uh, we see here, avoid, and I've, I've said avoid sinful anger. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. This is not a command, interestingly, to avoid anger at all. And the anger it's referring to that would be permitted is not a sort of out-of-control anger that we maybe think of when we, when we hear the, those words today. Not the losing of control, but maybe a, a righteous anger. It's believed Paul is quoting here Psalm 4, verse 4, where it talks about standing awe at, um, before the Lord. It's a righteous anger. And the Christian life is not one of stoic indifference. We see the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? He drove the money changers out of the temple. And that was, dare I say it, an expression of anger of how they've corrupted things. And so uh, there is an anger that can be expressed in the right way. But there's also an all-consuming anger, isn't there? There's an anger where we're so quick to speak and to put down someone, to destroy someone. We can't control our own spirit, that we fly off the handle at the slightest thing. And he's calling them not to do this. His concern is that they would be a body together once again. And I'm sure you can see in any relationship where someone is so prone to anger constantly, then it is very difficult uh, to live or to dwell with one another. Be angry and sin not. Don't uh, go too far with your anger. And then there's this call, isn't there? Let not the sun go down on your wrath. This is a very interesting uh, statement, well known. Some people say this comes uh, from a Greek chap called Pythagoras. For those of you who did mathematics in school, you would have come across him. Well, he, he had a... He had a, a theory that if you had um, a dispute with someone, you were angry with someone, you shouldn't let the sun go down without shaking their hand. And um, that is one manifestation of it. But it's also right to say, if you, if you have been angry with someone, if there is a difficulty for, with someone, it is a wise thing to do to talk that thing through one with another. To not give a long space of time for that, that issue to fester and to dwell and to cause more issues and sometimes make it even more difficult to uh, communicate with each other. And I'm sure you can see how uh, this is wise teaching from uh, the Apostle Paul. He gives a safeguard, I believe, here against uh, the abuse of righteous anger. It's not a prolonged anger uh, that we see here in verse uh, 26. We're not to let the sun go down on our wrath. But secondly, it's not to be brooded over uh, and over again uh, that it might cause us to be distressed in our minds and in our souls. There are two things. Two things that we're encouraged in our Christian walk uh, to do. Point three, still no more. This is maybe surprising that Paul even sees the need to say this. 
Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather that him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Paul says and encourages them to steal no more. They were a converted bunch of people. But when someone is converted, they still, to a certain extent through their whole life, carry the baggage that they had before conversion. And there were maybe some here who were engaged in stealing and theft and other activity. And they need to be reminded that they're not to go into that sort of realm of things once again. If they have a proneness to it, they're to avoid it. And dear friend, you may not have a particular problem with this uh, stealing or something like that, but there may be something else. There may be some other sin that before you were converted, you were particularly prone to, and now you have to watch yourself. You have to watch yourself that you don't fall into the same trap. And so uh, we see that here. He also gives a positive exhortation. He not only tells them not to steal, but in effect they're to work but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. They are not, if they're able to work, they're to work. And so they should be engaged in that. That's the mark of a a Christian, our daily vocation. The skills the Lord has given you as you go out on a week uh, to wherever, the office, uh, the hospital, uh, out on the street doing some sort of works, more practical works in, in building or whatever it may be, the Lord has given you that vocation that you might serve Him and that uh, you may do so and work in a way that is glorifying uh, to Him. And so uh, we're told, aren't we, uh, to work. In fact, uh, let me just go on a slight tangent. Work is one of the creation ordinances in Genesis Uh, Chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, The Lord commands Adam uh, to dress or to to keep the garden, to keep the garden of Eden. Adam was set to work in the garden, even a creation. And so this calling to work is something that we are called uh, to do. Still no more. Fourthly, minister grace with your communication. Minister grace with your communication. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. They're not to use their mouths to corruption. The word that's translated for us, corruption here, is a word that's used in horticulture, in sort of gardening. It's an expression that can be used when fruit is rotten. Not to have that rotten communication. And whether you use this for the way someone expresses themselves, I think it's at the very root going to how someone expresses themselves. You know, we can destroy someone, can't we, with our speech, with gossip behind their back. We can have that that corrupt communication. And so we're to guard ourselves against these things. It's very easy for us to slip into these things. Other people aren't concerned about it. You go to work, maybe with friends who, who, who are not Christians, they have no concern about whether their communication is corrupt necessarily. But the Christians should be concerned. We are to speak that which is good. And especially in the body of the church, which Paul is talking about here, 
we're not here to enhance our own reputations in that sense by putting down others, but to work together for the glory of God. And so therefore, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You see the positive aspects here as well. We're to minister grace, that which is good to the use of edifying. When you speak to that brother or sister in Christ, to that family member, you're doing so to edify them, to build them up, to help them in their spiritual walk. Is that your desire? Or do you just have no concern for them at all? You want to uh, completely uh, damage them. Well, the Christian attitude, the attitude of the redeemed believer is that their communication and what they say, they want to edify others. They want to minister grace to the hearers. They want to uh, help people in their Christian walk and build them up in that sense. And sadly, this can be so far missing in the Christian church. And it can be a great discouragement to people when people's speech isn't seasoned with salt and uh, seeking to edify someone else. Oh, dear friends, may the Lord give us this heart that our communication, that which is good to the use of edifying. I always remember our former pastor before um, uh, Pastor Keenan. He always used to say that, didn't he, in his prayers? He'd pray to the Lord, take that which is good and useful unto edifying. Uh, because he wanted that which he has said that was, that was a blessing that would build people up uh, to be used from his sermon. And so we're called to do this. And, and it's a great and marked command. And then in verse 30, there is given maybe a summary warning of the impact of these sorts of things. Do not grieve the Spirit. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. This is interesting, isn't it? Sometimes when you talk to people about grieving the Spirit, they seek to equate it to maybe um, spiritual gifts of some sort. But Paul here in Ephesians is relating it to uh, the manner or the actions or the approach of the believers in their lives. They are grieving the Spirit in the way that they're living. And this is something that needs uh, to be dealt with. He, he is calling, look, you're grieving the Spirit. This is one of the consequences. Such conduct that he's described grieves the Spirit of God. And you shouldn't do that because it is by the Spirit we, we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now this verse is a great encouragement. Because it doesn't say, if you grieve the Spirit, the sealing unto your day of redemption is going to be removed. It doesn't say that at all. It, it already says, we are sealed, doesn't it? It says, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, for each and every true believer, is indwelling us, is sanctifying us, and we are sealed unto the day of redemption. We are saved uh, once and for eternity if we know Christ as our Savior and Redeemer. But in our Christian walk, through certain actions, we can grieve the Spirit according to this particular verse. And so we should not seek to be engaged in unchristlike behavior. And then, let me just very briefly in, in conclusion, we see at the end of this passage, six 
unchristlike actions and three Christ-like actions. We read verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These three things, bitterness, it may well be these are things that can be behind the sort of actions that have been described. If someone is bitter against someone else, it might come up in corrupt communication. If someone is one particularly prone to wrath and to anger and clamor, then you may find uh, that they, they're, not, they're sinning in the way that they're angry with other people. The word clamor, incidentally, here um, is talking about someone whose wrath and anger is like an explosion. Maybe uh, you've come across uh, that sort of thing before. And so uh, that could be behind it. We also see here evil speaking. This is the sort of thing, slander. The slander against someone else that isn't gracious at all. And we're warned against that. And then it says malice, which is maybe a step further of wickedly plotting to do harm against someone. And that's something we should uh, do away with. We should put it away from ourselves. Take it and cast it away. Have, Have nothing to do with us. And when we find there will be times where it creeps back, there may well be times where we fall prey to these particular things. And each of us has different character traits where we might be more prone to lying. We might be more prone to being angry too much. We might be more prone to speaking bad about others in a gossipy way. But we're to put these things aside from us and strive to put these things aside. And then it concludes with three positive things, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be kind to one another. This is something that the Apostle Paul says that we should be concerned. Be kind. Kind one another in the church. Are we concerned about being kind to someone else? Or do we have no concern about it at all? Tender-hearted. We have an attitude towards other believers and even other people that is tender-hearted. We know and may not have gone through that particular circumstance they're going through, so I have a tender heart towards them. I pray for them. I try to warn them against a particular sin. I try to uh, teach them in God's Word if they don't seem to have a correct grasp of it. But I do so in a tender-hearted way. And then... We see here forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. In any environment where people are gathered together, there will be occasions where we offend or do wrong one to another. And there it is vital, it is important that where someone comes with that repentance, we forgive one another. We have that forgiving heart because Christ has forgiven us. Remember that example that Christ gave of uh, one who had a large debt and that was forgiven and someone had a small debt to him and he didn't forgive it? That's what we would be like if we had a brother or sister who um, is genuinely seeking forgiveness from us for a particular matter where they defended us and we didn't give it to them. We should be forgiving one another. These are characteristics that should mark the local church, that should mark the individual Christian. And when you read these things, 
you maybe think, what an amazing thing it would be if we could act like this all the time. But yet we should strive to do so. Let me give you this practical question. This chapter concludes with these six unchristlike actions and three Christ-like actions. Well, dear friend, how can you strive to follow this instruction in your life today? Shall we pray together? Dear Lord Almighty God, we pray that in our Christian walk, we will be concerned in the way that we live. It's a way that is glorifying to Thee. Oh, forgive us for those times when we have either lied, we've been angry when it was not right to, Lord, when we have stolen, Lord, when we have spoken corruptly about someone else. Oh, we thank Thee that there is forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, dear Lord, we want to obey that call we find here. Mold our characters, we pray. Help us to be uh, Christ-like in our behavior that it might bring great glory to thy name and that the body of Christ, wherever we are based, may be one marked with these attitudes, these actions uh, that we've heard are good this morning. In Christ's precious name, amen. Shall we conclude and sing together him five? listening. Please join us next week for our next sermon in Ephesians. Please feel free to follow this on Facebook Live or keep track via our website at www.westminsterbaptistchurch.co.uk.